Good afternoon, Birmingham. It is good to be here uh, with Bring you greetings from the south side of London. Uh, it is so good to be together with you all. We are so grateful for the opportunity to be with Forrest and Mandy after so many years. Uh, we we spent some time with them in, uh, when they were leaving the church in Roanoke and have been together in that part of the, the U.S. Had been for 10 years or so. We Yeah, because we've been out of the country. Yeah, 10 years we were together at the ACR. Uh, always, always admired and seen their work from afar. Fantastic what they've done. You know, from the south side, we come with a crew. Uh, so we brought D- Diana and, and, and Venetia are here from the south side as well. And uh, we're excited about that. And you're welcome to move to the south side. I heard Tom's coming there and his family uh, to Sutton. They come and this, oh, I wasn't supposed to say that publicly. Sorry about that. No, I'm kidding. Tom's not going anywhere. Um, it's a running joke we have. He comes and sees us now and again in Sutton. But it is great to be together. It's always great to see. I can't believe it's taken me this long to get to Birmingham. Uh, but it's a beautiful city. We got to go down into the city today and, and uh, have some lunch by the canal. And well, thank you so much for welcoming us. Had a great time with the marrieds last night. Uh, that was a fantastic time. Uh, we we'll Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We'll continue. Uh, this is my family. I will introduce my family to you. Uh, this my son is behind me to my on my left shoulder. That's Ryan. He's seventeen. Uh, he's three six six foot three. Uh, stands taller than me. Jordan is behind Angela. Alexa is next to Jordan. And then now we have an, a, a soon to be new addition to our family. Um, my daughter is Marion Coleman uh, in in October. So uh, that's uh, I'm feeling quite old. Uh, as a result of that. So this may be the last time you see me. This may be one of those exiting. No, I'm kidding. Not one of those. Um, but yeah, so uh, our daughter's getting married in October. We're so excited about that. And we uh, we are excited about what God has in store for us. Excited about building the kingdom uh, wherever we go, wherever we're called. And now it sounds like I know God is calling us to Virginia, but who knows where God's going to call us after that. Uh, we are we are convinced that uh, we're convinced that we have no idea. That's what that's what's true. Uh, what I've learned to say is I'll never. Uh, I, I don't say I'll never go somewhere because that's exactly where God will put me. Um, that just tends to be how it works. Uh, turn your Bibles if you haven't already to Luke chapter six. Uh, we will continue the, uh, the, the the series you've been doing in the book of Luke. I don't know how long you've been preaching through it. I know in the south side of London, we've been in the book of Luke for 16 months. Uh, it's taken us quite some time. We've, 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 we've been studying it fervently every Sunday, uh, and it's been fantastic. We're a little farther along, but uh, I thought it'd be only right to continue as you guys have been studying through it. Uh, you know... In, in uh, the, the, the latter part, the last part of Luke six that that uh, it, it, that that I know Forrest preached last Sunday. Uh, this is you know that this is the Luke version of the Sermon on the Mount, and, and the part I'm about to read soon is, is we're basically right in the, the middle of the section. And you know whenever whenever Luke writes, he leaves he leaves a good part. If you go and read the book of Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is quite a bit long, longer than what Luke writes now. So he chose certain parts to put in and certain parts to not include. And he put it in a certain way for us, I think, for a purpose. It was meant to have an impact right in the middle of it. Go to Luke chapter 6, and we're going to read verse 35 35 and 36, though that's not part of the text. But I wanted to kind of give you an idea of of even how how Luke's read right toward the middle of of the sermon. 
It says in verse 35, but love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High because He's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Then He continues, verse 37, Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running out over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not fall? both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fall, fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the, take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the way you show us your love. It really is amazing how, uh, how, how you, you call us to live in a certain way. And God, but, but you don't just call us to live that way. You inspire us to live that way. And we're so grateful for the grace and mercy you show us. God, help us to respond accordingly. And I pray that today our hearts will be moved. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, some, some may believe, some believe this might be some of the most difficult teaching that Jesus gives. Love your enemy. Be, you know, that, that, was, that was what he said before. Do good to those who hurt you. Bless those who, who curse you. And, and that's heavy. And, but then that center part that I mentioned before, verse 36 and, and 35 and 36. How do we do that? Why do we do that? And why do we do the things after that? It's because of God's grace toward us. As, as, he, as, he, as he says in, 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 in there, that, that he, uh, he was, just as our Father is merciful, he, he's kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. That it's, we, we can often look at the Sermon on the Mount and think, man, Jesus is just telling us, do this and do this and do this. And it can become that way. Even in our Christian lives, we can sometimes walk around like that. Like, wow, it's really hard to do all these things. What, what Luke is trying to put together and show us through Jesus' teaching is it's not just go and do, but actually be inspired to do. Be inspired because of what Christ has done for us, because of how God has worked on our behalf. Now in this, Jesus is addressing this crowd of followers, but he's talking about some who aren't his followers. It's like, a, it's like a group like this. Some many are followers of Jesus. Some are not followers of Jesus. Because Jesus said it to everyone because he wanted everyone to understand the grace of God. But understand there needed to be a response to that grace. There needed to be a way of life that, 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 that was in response to and, 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 and moved by the grace of God. It was all in the context. It's all given in the context of what God has done for us. Our lives are meant to be lived in response, in response to mercy and grace. You know, it's not things we have to do. It's things we get to do. When was the last time you thought about that? When you considered doing the right thing. I get to be righteous. I get to be pure. I get to be holy. We don't often think about it like that, do we? Sometimes we can think, oh, I have to be. 
I gotta be. I gotta. I gotta. No. You get to. You get the opportunity. Because of what God has done for you and I. We get the opportunity to do to do that. I love the picture Martin drew of, of, the, of the, the consequences uh, you know, in his school. And, 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 and no one ever got on their knees and pushed that, that coin across the floor for him. But God did so much more than that for us. Our lives are meant to be lived in response. And he has just a few things in this small section of text. There's a few thoughts that, that, that I'll share about some responses that we should have to the great grace that God has shown. The first response is full to overflowing. Full to overflowing. You know, this is, this is often a misused passage. You, you know, you often hear the phrase... Don't judge me. Who here has ever heard somebody say, don't judge me? If you ever talk to a religious person, most many of them will say, don't judge me. Now, what you, you never hear him say that when you say something good about him. Right? It's always when you have something, some way of correcting them or pointing out a flaw, then it's, don't judge me. Wait a second. You didn't complain when I was complimenting you some time ago, but, but, but it's, it's, we, we, we misunderstand. You know, that, that idea, don't judge, this, this, this passage doesn't mean what most people think it means. You have to consider it in the context, you know, in the, in the overall biblical context. It actually, the idea, don't judge me, flies in the face of biblical truth. In, in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, it tells us the saints will judge the world. That means if you're a Christian today, you will judge the world. That doesn't mean that you're gonna, you, you have a choice between they go to heaven or hell, but there's some sort of judgment that, that, that as saints will, will do. You know, in verse in in uh, in First Corinthians chapter five, verse thirteen, not quoting it, but but we're we are we being those that are followers of Jesus ought to judge those who are inside the church and not those outside the church. So so often we'll, we might hear, "Don't judge me from another disciple, from another follower of Jesus," and you, your response is, "Wait a second, Paul actually tells us to judge each other." Now, we don't have ultimate judgment against each other. That's God's job. But what's what's Paul's point? This passage—it's not about the fact that we shouldn't look at at God's righteousness. You know, at, at the righteousness of God, and, and, and what, what we should do is look at the righteousness of God and call people to that standard. That's what it, it's, it means. We're not to judge by looking down on them. We're not to have a judgmental attitude toward them. But we are to call people to the standard of the scriptures. It says, do not judge. Literally, say, in, the, in the way that the Greek is written, it's stop judging. That implies that there was a lot of judging going on among the disciples and among people. But he says very clearly, stop judging. And then he has this series of of cause and effect relationships. Stop judging and you won't be judged. And and he goes on from there. You know, we we, we know that the disciples were competitive. They were, who's the greatest? Who's going to sit at the right hand? And they were, there was this competitive spirit going on. And, and, and that automatically lends to judgment. Oh, I'm better than you. And look at what you did wrong. And, and this, that Jesus, and Jesus, stop judging. Do you find yourself being judgmental in your attitude toward each other? 
Jesus corrects their thinking and he corrects, he begins with their mind. And, he, and because most of the time our judging happens up here because we wouldn't say it out loud. We're too proper to say it out loud. We would not say it out loud. But in our minds, we can say, maybe you're sitting there thinking, man, this guy's just stop talking, man. Just maybe you're doing it right now. No, not you. You would never do that. But we need to refuse a judgmental attitude toward one another. When we do that, God will not judge us. It uses, in, in fact, go back to the text. It says, do not judge and you will not be judged. It's actually the way that it's written in the original language. It's the strongest, it's the strongest possible negation in the Greek. You shall not in any way be judged. It's, may have, may, may, it's a better way of even to read it. it you, may, you shall not in any way be judged. Now think about that for just a second. If you just simply stay away from judging others, you shall not in any way be judged by God. What do you think about that? Who would, who would sign up for that right now? All of, all of us would. You know, this, this, the, the complete opposite. Uh, the, the complete opposite is also true, though, isn't it? If we are judgmental, you will absolutely receive the severest of judgment. Because that is the truth. That, there's, that, that, that is also true. If, if, we do, if, if we have this kind of an attitude, this judgmental attitude, then we will receive complete judgment, which is really a scary thought. You know, it, it, how scary it is for us to even consider the idea of falling into the hands of the living God. You know, the, 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 there's these series of cause and effect relationships, as I mentioned before. Give and it will be given to you. Forgive and you will be forgiven. You know, he uses this analogy of, of grain being poured out and distributed to someone in their, in, in their garment. And, and, and the way that it was done is it was, it would, they, would, they would take the, the, the grain, they would, they, they would pour it out, and then they would, let it, they would pack it down and then, and then fill it up to the top. But the way, that, the way that Jesus describes it is actually how God is with us. And he, and he, he go back to the... In, in, uh, in, in that pattern, verse 38, give, it'll be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. Now, if, you're, if you want to get the most for your money, you, 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 you take the grain and you put it in your basket and then you shake it to get it to fit. Have you ever done, seen something like that? You, you have a powder or something you want to get the most out of it. You, you kind of pound it on the table and then you shake it a bit more and then you pour some more in and you press down and get as much as you get your money's worth. That's how God's love is toward you and I. That's what Jesus is describing here. He's describing this, this pouring out. It's not just, it's not just, God never just gives what you, what you need. He, he goes way above and beyond that. We, we like getting more than we bargained for, right? We like getting more. We, if you get a deal, you think, wow, I, I've made it the fantastic I had, a, I had a friend that approached me on Friday night at church, and he said, yeah, I went and had lunch with a, with a brother the other day, and I walked into this cafe, and the cafe was closing, and the guy was, he said, you can have anything you want free. You can have it all. I'm like, man, I wish I'd have gone to that cafe that day. And because if you get, you get something for free, you think, I have arrived. We all like getting, getting deals like that. That's how God is. That's how God is. If you're following Jesus, you should feel like this every day. 
Because the measure he's given, it's not what you deserve. It's what it's because of his love for you. And it's not just measured out. It's measured out. It's shaken. It's pressed down. And then it's poured out and overflowing. I know, I, I know that's how I feel about my life. I feel like that's, that's how I've been forgiven. Who am I to not forgive others? Who am I to judge others? Who am I to, to condemn others? Because I've been so wronged. I've been so wrong myself. I've been, I, 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 my, my life has been a mess. And it's not easy for me whenever the, whenever the scripture tells me to, to have an overflowing love. It, it's a challenge for me to forgive. When I've been hurt really bad, it's a challenge for me to forgive. My, you know, my daughter, she's, uh, uh, I, I showed you the picture. She's getting engaged now and she's a faithful Christian. We're so fired up about that. Uh, but she wasn't that just about seven years ago. When she was a teenager, she, she, she's uh, from my first marriage. It's my daughter from my first marriage. I, I came, be, came to be, become a Christian through a separation and an eventual divorce. Uh, so you could tell that's that was the that's how bad I was as a husband. I ruined the marriage, and praise God, I've got an amazing wife now. We've been married 18 years. It's unbelievable how God has blessed me. That's how I feel the way that I do. I, who am I? But I don't forgive easily. And when my daughter was a teenager, she decided she wanted to go and live with her mother, and it was the hardest time in our marriage. It was the hardest time of my Christian life. And I had to, and, and, and we fought, we tried to fight, and through different circumstances, we decided to just let her go. And she moved to be with her mom, and I was bitter. I was bitter, I was angry, and I didn't want to have nothing to do with her. That's how bad it got. I was leading a church. I had a, I had a family to take care of. I had two more sons that, that needed me, but I was bitter. As far as I was concerned, my hands were washed of her. And then I started talking to people. And in the back of my mind, I knew I, I, don't, I don't want her to come to visit us for holidays. I don't want her to come for Christmas. I just want just go and live your life. It's been too hard. And one night I was, I, was, I was with some friends. We were at a conference in Miami. I remember it clear as day. We were at a conference in Miami and I was visiting some, spending some time with some friends of ours that were in another city in the ministry. And they were talking to us and the, 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 one of them was having a difficult time in a relationship and they had been hurt. And I shared this proverb in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. And, and, it, and if you can look there with me real quick. Proverbs 18, verse 19. It says, an offended brother is more unyielding. Than a fortified city and disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. And I told the person that I was talking to, the sister, my wife and I were together with this couple. And I said, sister, you, you, you've got to be careful because you, you are the offended brother and you just put the bars of the gates up. You know, you're separating yourself from you and this other individual and you really have to repent of that. And that night, it didn't even hit me that, that day. That night, though, I got up in the middle of the night, you know, when, as, as you, you do. And, and, uh, and, and, I, and I went back to bed. And I've never before and never since then been so led to pray. And to pray specifically on my knees. 
And I didn't hear a voice or anything like that, but I felt like you, you need to pray. And so I did. I got out of my bed. I did not want to. This was at like three o'clock in the morning. And, and, I, and I got down on my knees and I began to pray. And, 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 and this passage came to my mind. And what came to my mind is you are the offended brother. You are the, the offended brother. I had stopped forgiving. From that day on, I decided I'm going to forgive my daughter. I called her, started setting up time on the phone. She came for Thanksgiving. She came for Christmas. The next year, you know, we had some great talks. We changed as parents. We changed how we parent. And then the next summer, she came back to us, went to camp, all of those things. Just to come. She, we thought she was came, came for a visit, and she never left. And praise God, she studied the Bible and became a Christian. But, but through, through all of that, though, if something had happened to me during that time when I was being unforgiving and unyielding, God forbid what would have happened to me. How are you? How are you toward others? Because of what God has done for you. Maybe you can relate to this challenge of being unyielding, unkind. I know this challenge, this, pal, this passage challenges me to the core. I don't want to be judged by God, but I can often judge others in my mind and look to others and have negative things to say. If I don't show mercy, I won't be shown mercy. If I don't forgive, God will not forgive me. If I don't give, God will not give to me. How are you doing toward others, toward forgiving, toward giving? Give what you desire to be given. If you desire mercy, show mercy. If you desire kindness, forgiveness, generosity, show that, be that. Because of what God has done for you. If you hold something against somebody else, just go back and remember all that God has forgiven you of if you're a Christian today. If you're not a Christian today and you're you're wondering what's this all about, how could you possibly be forgiven of all that? Ask the person that brought you today to, to explain it to you. Because we all have a story. We all have something. We all have those things we've been forgiven of. And who are we to not forgive others? Second point. Pursue perfection. Pursue perfection. Who here likes to do 10-pin bowling? 10-pin bowling, anybody? Yeah, 10-pin bowling is one of the most popular sports for people to play. I actually grew up, my goal and dream was to be a professional 10-pin bowler. And I was pretty good at it. I had an opportunity to be a professional 10-pin bowler. Actually, I didn't find that out until till much later. But my mother was my coach. She was, she was the best bowler in my hometown at one time in South Texas. And I practiced and practiced and practiced. And, and, and my mom worked at a bowling alley, so I got to bowl a lot. And, and so I bowled all the time. And, and every game, when you start the game with a strike, you think, okay, just 11 more. Because 12 strikes in a row is a perfect game. And I, and, I, and I never got it. I was, I was a young man. And as a teenager, I never got a 300 game. And I was 17 years old. And I, was, and I was at a bowling tournament. I was 17 or 18 years old. I was at a bowling tournament. And I started out pretty good. And I had the first strike. And then three. And then five. And then eight. And then nine. And, and you know, after you get the first six or seven or eight, people stop talking to you. And you kind of get into this, you get into this routine, you pick up your rosin bag a certain way, your towel, and you do everything exactly the same every single time. And nobody talks to you. 
And you just sit in the same spot and God forbid somebody sit in your spot when you got all those strikes in a row. And then you and then you 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 know you get up there in the tenth frame, you have to throw three shots in a row. So I have the first nine strikes, and then I get up and you know you're you're sweaty palmed and you 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 know you get up there and you throw and you bowl again and then you get the tenth one. And then you, and man, you just, and every people at that time, there's a crowd back there and you're just cheering. And then you get, go back and you got to throw one more. And you, you go, you get the 11th one. And you're like, oh man, perfection is one shot away from perfection. And the third one, you just, you basically just close your eyes and chuck it, you know, in hopes it. And, 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 and I got the, I, I got the perfect 300 game. It was incredible. My mother wasn't there. That was the discouraging part. I mean, you know, I call her. I still have, I still have a call. This was back in the day whenever everything was done by hand and you kept score. Some of us from the little older generation remember that time. It wasn't automatic. I still have that score sheet from that 300 game. And then a few, sometime later, I was at a tournament. My mother was the tournament director of that tournament. And she saw me bowling another time. A perfect game because because the pursuit of perfection it, it was all about you start a new game it's a pursuing of perfection you know Jesus Jesus's desire for all of us is this perfection go back to the text we looked at back in Luke chapter Luke chapter six in verse in verse thirty. Verse 40, it says, A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. That word for fully trained is the same Greek word as, 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 as complete or perfect. That's, that's the goal that Jesus has for us, is perfection. And we, and we, and we, we, we often can, 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 can begin to minimize Jesus' expectation of us. And we can make it seem like, oh, well, it's not, it doesn't, surely you don't mean perfect, perfect. No, there isn't actually a difference of what fully trained is. Fully trained is fully trained. Complete is complete. Here, here's just a couple of passages. If we would just simply put into practice a complete focus on Jesus and not ourselves, this would be possible. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Colossians 3, 1 to 2, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Satan wants us to take our eyes off of Jesus. Satan wants us to believe that perfection is not possible when we fail and we fail every day. The fact that God is perfect and has made us holy and has given us his righteousness and, and has shown us mercy should make us want to continue to pursue perfection. But Satan wants to pull us away. Satan wants to distract us. What pulls you away of pursuing perfection? What is it that's most tempting to you? For me, it's the pursuit of self. Just doing things that I want to do. Being eating, eating what I want to eat or going where I want to go or doing what I want to do. Not doing what other people might want me to do. I, I'm selfish in my sinful nature. And it pulls me away from God. But that was never God's intention. God's intention was completeness, was perfection. We may never achieve perfection or completeness until heaven, but we can't lower our expectations below God's expectations. Be holy because I am holy, is what the scriptures say. 
we want to we want to soften it. We want to make it. Oh well, well, surely God didn't mean that. I'm sorry. That's what the scripture says. Who am I to soften it? Who am I to say that's not what we need to pursue and become like the teacher? What are you pursuing perfection in right now? Because you're probably trying to become a better student, the best student that you can be, or the best engineer that you can be, or whatever it is that you do for a living. You want to be the best at it as you possibly can. Well, if that's taking precedent over your pursuit of being godly, you need to get your priorities straight and pursue perfection. If you aren't following Jesus right now, it's time to get help. It's time to get someone to show you someone and, and, and to show you what it means to pursue perfection and to rely on the grace of God. When we fall, the grace of God is there and we have God's grace, but we don't take advantage of that grace. Paul also talks about that. It, it's our perfection comes through watching and following Jesus. That's what it's really all about. We're not going to be perfect, but the pursuit because of Christ is what we need to desire. We can't give up on that pursuit. We, we, that's why we rely on the mercy and grace of God, which goes back to that, to that first point. Pressed down, poured out, overflowing grace of God, that mercy of God that we've been shown, that should inspire us to be perfect today when we walk, go home, and what, relationally, whatever it is, what are you pursuing most in your life? Stop making excuses and begin to remember you get to be perfect. You get to be. It's an opportunity to be. How amazing it is that you get that opportunity because of Jesus. Third and finally, no pretending. No pretending. Jesus gives a very graphic example. Of a speck, you know, if you get something in your eye, that speck in your eye, it's really annoying. And you try to get someone, can you get that out of my eye? And, you know, you dig in there and try to get that, that eyelash out of your eye. Uh, you, know, you know what that's like. Uh, it's, it's really annoying. But it, it's, it, that's kind of how it is when somebody's trying to help you in your life. You're like, no, wait a second. That really bothers me. That really hurts. But, you know, he uses this picture of the, you know, the plank sticking out of your eye. And that contrast, you're trying to help somebody with their speck, but you've got a plank hanging out. And he uses this term, you know, stop, stop being a hypocrite. I don't think he's saying, don't correct someone. What he's saying is, look at yourself first. Look in your own heart first. That doesn't mean don't point something out. If you see sin, say, say something. Which I think we need to grow a lot more bold about ourselves. But not arrogantly, full of grace and mercy because we've been shown so much grace and mercy. Full of love, full of kindness, full of gentleness. You know, Jesus uses this example so that people will look at themselves first. We've got to deal with what's going on in our own hearts before we can hope to help others. Because eventually it will catch up to you. You can try to, you can try to pretend but we need to have the, you need to have this attitude. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What a bold prayer. I want to challenge each and every one of us here today 
to pray this prayer this week and mean it. It's a scary prayer. You got to be careful what you pray for, but it's a right prayer. God knows your heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. We all want the everlasting. But do we want God to expose the things in our hearts that need to come out? That'll make us run into the dark, won't it? It'll make us run away. But we don't need to run away. We need to run toward God. Toward His love. Back to the very beginning, what we talked about. God's mercy and God's grace. If you're visiting with us today, I want you to know that you've come to a place full of imperfect people. We're a bunch, we're a mess. Just come and get to know us a little bit. You'll get, it won't take long. We'll hurt you too. Sorry, we will. We'll make mistakes. And we'll apologize, but we'll love deeply. And we'll encourage. And we'll, we'll do everything we can to help you understand God's love Because of how God's loved us. We don't want to pretend. We don't want to be a hypocrite. You know, who you really are is seen in the fruit of your life. You can try to fake it for a time, but God knows the truth. The people closest to you know it as well. The other challenge I want to give you this week is talk to somebody that you know well. And ask them, do you think I'm pretending? What do you think about my life? What do you see I need to change? What do you think I need to become? When was the last time you asked somebody that question? I want you to take that challenge this week. Look at the evidence of your life. What do you see? Ask someone to tell you the honest truth. What is the fruit that you see in my life? Be real about who you are. I love that God prepares prepares us for everything. He, he gives us this perfect, uh, this perfect picture of who God is, full of mercy, full of grace, full of, full of kindness, all that he's given, full to overflowing in the way that he loves us. And that's how we should love others, be full to overflowing in our grace and kindness and mercy toward others, pursuing complete perfection because God is perfect And God shows us the example in Christ pursuing perfection. And no more pretending. Be real. Be honest. Get help. Get someone to tell you the honest truth. And ultimately, God will be glorified. Amen. Thanks so much for your time.